Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Giles Thompson. Giles is the head of growth at Avoca, fronting the company's revenue growth strategy to create bespoke document automation solutions for clients. Giles has previous experience as a city lawyer at both Herbert Smith Freehills and Kirkland and Ellis. Equally, he has in-house experience working for BP's technology, media and telecommunications team and worked in the regulatory division of Pax Lab in San Francisco. Before becoming a lawyer, Giles worked as an assistant football coach for the Docking Devils FC under 13 side. So a very big welcome, Giles. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. And I'm, I'm so glad that my uh, coaching at Docking Devils has managed to slip into my, my bio there. I was just talking about the other day. Um, how I would, would disown any children I had if they played for any other grassroots football team. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a little bit down in the dumps at the moment because I'm a, a Liverpool FC fan and it's not looking like it's going to be our year. So we're going to move swiftly on. Um, and before <laughs> we go through all your um, amazing achievements and, and legal experiences to date, we do have our customary opening question on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the hit series Suits in terms of its reality? Six, six, I would say. And the, uh, the basis for that is that they're, you know, not, they're a nice suit. Uh, there are long hours, but it seems that um, Harvey Specter does absolutely every single type of matter. Uh, and if, if only uh, real law was like that, and you basically just could be a litigator one day, corporate transaction lawyer the next day, uh, and then, well, breaking the law the next, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I think the only way to liken it to is um, a heart surgeon then becoming an eye specialist the next day is probably some of the, the simplest way to, for people who haven't yeah. been on the show, the way they work. So let's, let's start at the beginning then. Tell us a bit about your family background and, and upbringing. Yeah, so my, my family background, I'm actually back in Norfolk at the moment, uh, is, is farming. Um, so my first job was driving a tractor. Well, actually, before that was uh, sitting on the back of a, uh, a harvester of potatoes, chucking out the rotten ones. So my, I definitely sort of got used to the long hours um, as, a, as a kid, uh, but sort of driving a tractor or, or grading potatoes as opposed to working in an office. Uh, yeah, so that, that's my, my background, really. I didn't really have any exposure to law or anything like that I, I basically just got got to university and, and one of the sort of people in my class uh, you know took me under their wing and took me along to some of the sort of commercial law uh, milk ground stuff um so ended up ended up doing that that way but um yeah that that's sort of my, where I come from great and I mentioned in the intro you you worked as a as a city lawyer before uh, becoming the head of growth at Avoca so what was that like tell us about those experiences well, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it, I have to say. And I think that actually commercial law and training contracts are an amazing opportunity. It's obviously super competitive, but actually having the opportunity to be in a, in a job, getting paid and actually learning as much as you do during your training contract and, you know, being an, an associate, really, really enjoyed it. One of the things I most enjoyed was actually I ended up doing quite a lot of tech-focused work, um, both contentious and non-contentious, and actually some cybersecurity-related stuff. And I really enjoyed speaking to people who really knew their stuff about cutting edge technology. Um, and I think that was one of the things I, I most enjoyed. And actually, ultimately, ending up a patent litigator was one of the things I really specialized in. But also one of the reasons I found, you know, uh, being in private practice frustrating in, in some ways. Yeah, as a patent litigator, you don't get much closer uh, to the cutting edge of technology than that. 
but actually, you know, it, it just makes me want to be on the on the tech side and developing some new stuff my, uh, myself. Brilliant. Okay. Well, it certainly had a lot of interesting experiences, and I, and I can assume that's only helped you in your current role. But for those less familiar with um, Avoca, what exactly is it? Well, very valid question. Um, well, what we do is we essentially we document automation, and document automation has been around since the eighties or nineties, but we basically see it differently. So, you know, essentially document automation is taking a standard form precedent or, or contract or, or, or even just a regular document or form and then designating the parts of that uh, document which need to be made bespoke or custom each time a new version of it is drafted by a lawyer or an, uh, a regular business person. Um, and then once you've done that, it generates a, a questionnaire or a survey which the end user will answer in order to generate their custom or bespoke document. Now, that sort of methodology has been around for a while. However, it's you know, actually setting up the document for automation and doing that designation of the custom or bespoke information has been quite laborious. And so we've taken a really, hopefully, straightforward approach to it, whereby you know, anybody with you know, less than an hour's training can go into a document and start, start automating it themselves. And, and the software is very consumer-friendly and, uh, and intuitive. And also, what we 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 also believe quite strongly is that there is, you know, more to document automation than just filling out the questionnaire and, and spitting out your first draft. Actually, we think that document automation should continue right the way through a negotiation. So, if you've sent off your first draft to the other side and they said, "Hey, that you know confidentiality term is is far too uneven," you know, we want that to be a, a mutual confidentiality term or something. You know, being able to go back and you know once you receive the term back go to your questionnaire, re-answer and say, actually, yep, the confidentiality terms throughout this agreement should be, should be you know, what we've, we've just agreed. And then all of those changes throughout the document being um, autonomously made. So being able to sort of re-automate your, your document as you go so that you don't have to make, you know, 50 amendments based on one comment from the other side. But yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell, Rob. Yeah, and you've very much uh, outlined that very simply, but I know it's a lot of hard work and very complex in terms of getting it to the level that you're at at the moment. But just sticking with yourself and your journey, uh, uh, if we can, because you did have a very successful, you know, city um, legal career. So for you, how and why did you make that transition to Avoca? Because I talk a lot about people maybe taking risks and other routes you can take. So I think that'd be really helpful for our listeners to talk us through your process and how you did it. I guess the first thing I'll do is just be a little bit tongue-in-cheek in my response and say that I I feel quite strong and I think this is something which is pretty common among people who are more entrepreneurial on, on the scale. Uh, I actually viewed staying in private practice and missing an opportunity like the one available to me at Avoca as the real risk. Because ultimately, you know, I, I think that we're going to be a hugely successful company, you know, beyond where we already are. But, you know, I felt like the real risk was spending two or three years and missing the opportunity. And then that was sort of a guaranteed uh, risk that I would take. But actually, if, if I never tried it, you know, I'd always know that there was a possibility I potentially missed. Um, so, I, and actually, I think answering your question more head on, I think there's actually a really, it's a real inflection point at the moment in, in legal tech. Um, and actually also in just the practice of law more generally. I think it's sometimes unhelpful to think of technologies like Avoca as, as legal tech. When actually we help anybody who needs to use a contract or a document, uh, you know, and draft it to get stuff done. I actually quit and moved during the, during the lockdown. And I just felt like we were at this inflection point where this pace of change, people's openness to collaboration and people's frankly awareness that any of the 
admin that they were doing on contracts and documents was preventing them from finishing earlier in the day and spending time with their children. Obviously, notwithstanding the fact a lot of people are spending more time with their children than they ever hope to now. But you get, you get the point. I, I felt like it was going to draw into sharp focus the benefits of something like Avoca. And actually, when I was in practice, I saw that there are a lot of document automation products out there, which frankly just took a bit too much work to get going. So I saw, I saw the products and I thought, actually, this has a chance of being adopted both by private practice law firms and corporates. And now's the time if I'm ever going to do it. And I'm very thankful to David and Elliot who hired me because head of growth, I wear lots of hats and it's a really, it's a really invigorating role. And I'm certainly using and developing skills I, I, I didn't really have when I was in private practice. So that's, that's all been really exciting. Yeah. And I must say you're a very progressive business and I'm loving everything that you're doing. So, and I think that ties nicely to the um, slogan of next generation of document automation. Um, So tell us more about that. I know you gave a good outline before, but go into a little bit more detail, particularly around that slogan and maybe some of the challenges that you you face and, and, and how you sort of overcome them, because I can appreciate it's not straightforward. Yeah, and I would so without name checking the the incumbent document automation solutions that, that that exist in the market, and I think a lot of people know who they are. I, I first thing I would say is you know, and it might become some a surprise to some people, but there, there are competitors. But I, I have a huge deal of respect for what they've achieved and actually the work that they've done for us. You know, when I go to private practice law firms, I do not need to explain what document automation is and what some of the fundamental benefits are. All credit to the, our legacy competitors. That being said, it's, I think it's important that we distinguish ourselves as being a next generation product because, as I say, the intuitiveness is mapped much better. And also, we're not just doing the first draft document automation. We're trying to automate other bits. Um, and I think it's important to distinguish as well because document automation projects, shockingly, uh, haven't always been a success within private practice firms and also within um, big, big corporates. And that's because, you know, where you have a product which does require a bit more training and and, and honestly, a lot of it was down to the tech uh, limitations at the time. You know, it, it was intuitive as it possibly could be at that point. Where it's a little bit harder to get adoption, sometimes the projects fail. So we're basically trying to distinguish ourselves from a lot of those legacy tools and, and, and to make, make clear that actually the approach we're taking is quite different, really. It's, we're, we're almost designing for a, a, a consumer audience rather than a B2B audience. And, and we're hoping that you know, anybody can pick up the tool. So, yeah, that, that's a little bit of background to the, the tool as well. And, and Next Generation also covers off some of the other stuff to do with workflows and approvals and playbooking and all, and all that lovely sort of document automation and negotiation jargon too. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for, for sort of giving us a clear outline of that. And I'm sure this will have piqued a lot of people's interest. So where can people go to find out even more about the LMA.automate project? Tell us about that. Well, the first, first thing to say, and it's a bit of a boring one, uh, Rob, which is that I have to uh, caveat what I say here by saying that the project is a, a joint project with uh, the Loan Market Association themselves, who, who are the biggest publisher of recommended form loan documentation and ancillary documentation that certainly that I'm aware of, and then also Alan and Overy as well. And the big the caveat I have to make is that you know, in terms of any breaking news on this stuff, I have to... Um, as a courtesy, give that that right to our, our partners. So they'll be breaking, you know, lots of news in the, in the coming weeks and months, I, I, I'm sure. But certainly, if people want to know more, they can absolutely contact me. My email is giles at avoca.com. Uh, and I'll be very happy to talk talk through sort of all the information that's publicly available about the project and also to keep them appraised of any new updates that are coming out about it. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting project. And 
for anybody involved in in finance law and loan financing related business, it could be a real game changer. Um, I say could because it's it's really my hope in terms of drafting those kinds of documents. So yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, very, very exciting. And you know, Avoca was founded in 2015, I believe, and you know, currently boasts, and this is testament to all your hard work as head of growth. You mentioned there Alan and Overy, but Baker McKenzie, Carlsberg, Slaughter and May. So from your perspective, how do you do it? You know, is it, what's, what's the, the secret, I guess, to your, your success? Honestly, Rob, I, I didn't build the business from the ground up. That was David and Elliot and a number of the other early employees of the business who, you know, there are too many to name. What I would say is I think the thing which really makes us different is care. And everybody at our, in our business really, really cares um, about what the clients need to achieve. And, and frankly, looking after people's mental welfare and time. And I think that the way that that kind of helps us stand apart is by, because we care, we end up having these conversations with clients where we figure out what the real issue is. And, and, and honestly, our, our product development has been very much led by conversations with clients. You can't take every recommendation and you can't take every sort of feature request uh, and do that. Otherwise, you end up with a product that ends up being really confusing and not intuitive. But what you can do is you can f- figure out and, and speak to your clients and figure out what is causing them pain. And then you can do the thinking around how you can, how you can avoid that and, and draw the, the parallels between all of your different clients. I think the other thing to mention as well, Rob, is I've been very lucky um, to be in Alan and Obi's Fuse Incubator. Um, and that's been really, really helpful as well. And we have a number of great clients, but they've been a particularly good client for us in terms of collaborating uh, and and having in the early days having a lot of patience with with, with our product uh, as as we brought it up to spec. And now I'd like to think that uh, Alan and are really, uh, as well as our other clients, are really benefiting from having that patience initially with us. Now that we're sort of a fully fledged and and, and frankly leading tool. Yeah, and and just to mention, we've we've mentioned some really big brands there that you have, but to be clear, this product is um, for everyone. So you know, we have a number of sort of boutique firms and smaller firms that that listen to the show. So it's it's worth emphasising that point that whilst you are obviously servicing you know Magic Circle and these large international firms, that you know it's very very accessible for other firms. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, and I think this is uh, this is the point that I, I'm still trying to address, Rob. And it would be you know good, interesting to have a chat about it because on the one side, when you're trying to work with corporates, you need to have the big corporate names and frankly the clients that we're really really proud of having on the website. But also, I've certainly had feedback from smaller firms, both both law firms, but also you know smaller businesses that frankly it just makes us look a bit inaccessible. And it's it's hard because you you want to look slick and you want to look like you're you're the business and you know having having people like HSBC as well on your website proves that you're you're all there from a security perspective and things like that too which is really important but yeah certainly we're really interested in working for the the full strata and actually I, I personally think and this is my personal view rather than the company's view but I actually think that we have a, a you know a moral responsibility to make sure that tools like document automation are accessible to everybody throughout well, throughout the corporate world, but particularly in the legal service delivery, because if we're helping large law firms to deliver services in less time at lower cost, actually, we need to make sure we're doing that for the medium-sized firms, otherwise they're going to be out-competed. And ultimately, I mean, I looked, there was a law society report that came out recently, Rob, which said that 80% of you know people in, in the UK don't have access to sort of meaningful legal services. 
And actually, I think if we give this technology to medium and small sized law firms, that's going to really help that problem. It's going to mean that they can do, you know, two or three times as much with the same time. Um, and that can only be good. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's trying to make it more accessible, ultimately for those that need it as well. So I absolutely love what you're, you're doing. And you, you touched on it a bit earlier. You're very open and you know, people can get in touch with you. But how, how can people maybe get involved in, in Avoca as, as you look to grow? And for anyone just wanting to make more sense of legal tech, can Avoca help them? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things. And I think I, one thing I will mention as well is if anybody is listening to this and they work for a, a nonprofit or a charity, uh, one of the things I'm, you know, and this is very much the first I've mentioned about it publicly, I, I'm actually thinking very much that we should be doing more in that space. So, if it, you know, if you would like to get in touch, um, we might be able to help on a, on a pro bono or, or, or free basis, you know, if, if, that, if that's of interest. I thought I'd just drop that in there. We, we, also, we certainly want to be helping people who are doing good and, and help them do it more efficiently. In terms of getting involved, well, you know, one thing that we're going to be doing is we're, we're always looking for new hires uh, and people who can bring talent to the business. And you don't necessarily have to fit into a certain box. The main thing is, is caring, really, uh, about what we do. So, yeah, please get in touch for that. Particularly interested in sort of marketing and design people uh, over, over the next month or so. One quite cool initiative um, that we have, Rob, is actually the two things, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll mention. So the first is the Avoca Lab, and that's a bit more niche. And this, that's uh, actually a, a scheme that we're using to get people who are uh, either quite techy or, or, or potentially very interested in providing feedback on, on document automation tools. And we actually get them to test our, our, our tool and our unreleased versions of Avoca. So, yeah, please do visit the Avoca website if you'd like to be part of that. The other thing that we do on an ongoing basis is we have the Avoca Academy. Uh, and this is an initiative that's gone absolutely crazy this year, actually. I mean, we have something like 50 or 60 Avoca Academies slated for the year. And what these are is, is essentially a session where we uh, invite a bunch of people, post it on Zoom, and we actually open up the platform, give everybody an account on the platform, and get them to go and, and do some automation uh, after some really brief instructions. And, that, and that's amazing. It really shows people, yeah, the, the obvious return on investment and actually that it is as easy as we say it is. Um, so, yeah, if you want to get involved in any of those initiatives um, or, you know, find out other ways, yeah, please get in touch, uh, visit our website or, or email me. Brilliant. Yeah. And I love the sound of the uh, Avoca Academy. I know that produces a lot of value and I believe they're, they're free to attend. So people should definitely go and check that out. And you recently, um, I believe, started Campus, uh, Campus Ambassador Scheme, which covers three different countries. So can you tell us a bit more about the reason to take this sort of next step and also whether any students who don't have campus ambassadors at their universities can get involved? Yeah, well, so the reason we did the Campus Ambassador Scheme is really inspired from my time in um, my time in private practice, where a lot of the private practice firms would, you know, have have campus campus ambassadors who would organise events and things at universities. I think it's a great piece of work experience uh, to put on the CV and a good good experience with sort of project management and things. But actually, one of the things that we really thought was there is a bit of a hole when it comes to legal tech. You know, the commercial law is such a well-defined career path with so many albeit competitive, but so many um, different work experience options. We just saw such a hole in that um, when it came to legal tech. So one of the really great things about the, the Campus Ambassador Scheme is we're doing an insight day. I was hoping to do it in person, but that's looking unlikely at the moment. But an insight day where we sort of provide career advice, CV review, 
several people in the organization will sort of tell their stories through uh, private practice and legal tech. And also we're going to do some mentoring as well. So that's a, a bit of a way for us to, to give back and actually train the next generation of legal techies. That would be really exciting. And the other thing as well is we don't see there being a huge commercial opportunity in, in doing academies for students. But what we do think is educating, increasing an awareness of document automation as really a necessary skill for, for lawyers can only be a good thing for us. But also it gives a lot of these, you know, younger generally, uh, but, but junior lawyers, an opportunity to add value and, and to offer something different when they get into their training contracts. So that's just a nice way for us to, to give back and actually to train and, and make sure that we're getting the product right and, and taking all their feedback, which is really well received from us. Yeah. And I just love your approach. You know, you're continuously learning, continuously open for feedback, continuously looking to help others selfishly give back. So absolutely love everything that you're doing. And I guess there's a lot of the discussion at the moment, particularly when I'm delivering talks around the O-shaped lawyer. But do you think, and if you've touched on it lightly there, do you think that future lawyers will need to be legal techies or not? I mean, it's a philosophical thought at a certain point because I bore people with this example. But you know, <laughs> before if you were an, if you were a lawyer and you operated via email, you were probably considered like a really techie lawyer, and now that's become standard. And I remember when I was in practice, what I would do is when a transaction finished and I received the scans through um, from the other side, I would use a PDF editor, like an expert version, um, and just compile those PDFs. And a lot of the partners, would, what they thought I would be doing would be waiting for the original document, scanning them back in, but scanning them back in order. They hadn't clocked that you could just you know, change order and compile documents on a PDF editor. So... I mean, that's a silly example, but I just think that these skills are just going to become part of the job and you're going to be trained in them and it's just going to be expected. Well, the analogy I would make when it comes to document automation is I think document automation is going to become part of a matter triage process. So, for example, at the moment, certainly at the top, the top uh, end firms, when a piece of work comes in, they say, OK, well, should we be doing this work? is the first question they ask. And then if the answer is no, it's, well, okay, let's let's take it, put it over to one of our outsource centers and then we'll supervise the work and that will you know, be better value and quicker for the client. The second question, or maybe even the question before that, I think will in future will be, should we be automating this? Should, should a person be doing this in a manual way at all? And I, I see that as being the direction of travel. It's just a case of how quick that's going to be. Yeah, it's certainly very, very exciting. And I get very excited about the future of the uh, the legal industry. So I guess as a, as a, as a final question from me, um, and it's probably a very open-ended question, but what are you expecting to see in terms of legal trends in 2021? And do you expect to see a continuation of sort of technological adaptation by the legal sector or not? This is hopefully shows that I'm not too biased. I actually think that one of the big legal tech trends this year is going to be making the most of what companies already have. And I think there's definitely been in the last sort of two or three years, there's definitely been, a, as well as an investment of investment in the legal tech world, there's been a lot of investment, you know, from external investors in legal tech companies, there's been a lot of investment by law firms and corporates in legal technologies. And actually adoption in some corners of the market has been quite disappointing in terms of once, once they've been bought, actually adopting them properly. So I actually think that there's going to be a real push for people to make the most uh, of what they already own and, and figure out what that is. And I think a lot of the time that's going to be sort of wider packages of, uh, of apps that people have. So, you know, the Microsoft suite and that kind of thing and figuring out what can be done with that. 
And I think what that means is firms like us, we're going to have to be really sharp when it comes to demonstrating the return on investment and, and why we're better than perhaps one or two uh, of the sort of less dedicated or specialist tools that firms have in their arsenal. What I think also is it's going to mean that those companies who have really, really strong adoption plans and can articulate those plans for adoption and, and really do all that thinking and planning for their clients are going to really succeed. So. I think that we we will see a continuation of te- uh, technological adoption, both as, you know, actually are probably primarily people's incumbent tools, but also there'll be some providers, and I hope we're one of them, who really do well to work collaboratively and help uh, providers plan a seamless adoption ad- adoption program. And I think sometimes the issue is people go for adopting, you know, for example, document automation, they want to automate every single one of their documents within three or four months. And it's just never going to happen um, if, if there's a large amount of documents I think what we're going to see is sort of people like us going in and uh, automating, you know, three or four documents perhaps at the start, and then you know everything expands from there. That's what I would say. So I think a, a bit of a cautious approach to adoption, actually. But I think ultimately, if providers do a great job of planning and working with clients, we're likely to see, I think, actually, a really strong adoption. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I, I hope that's the case. As someone who's a tech enthusiast myself, I. I look forward to to seeing that. So I guess, Giles, we've covered a hell of a lot today and you, you've mentioned your your email, but could you just kindly recap? Because if people want to follow or get in touch, um, I believe that's the best way. Also, can people follow Avoca on social media or any other platforms? Feel free to shout out any other web links or relevant social media, and we'll also share them with this episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, it's just Giles at Avoca.com um, and it's A-V-V-O-K-A.com. And yeah, we're on we're on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. I might even be making a uh, appearance on TikTok at some point in the near future, but I'm not very funny, so <laughs> just figure that. <laughs> I, I have also ventured onto the platform, so uh, yeah, I think it's one of those that you just have to hope for the best. Yeah, well, Rob, I'll be I'll be sending you an email asking you for some tips when the time comes. But <laughs> yeah, well, don't, don't hold your breath too much on that one. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, follow us on all of those. The team's worked really hard and they've had a real sort of boost uh, and, and we're putting out some really interesting content at the moment. Um, we also have a, a newsletter that's launched as well. So, yeah, just, I mean, if you, if you jump onto the avocad.com uh, website, um, there'll be plenty of routes to guide you down and, and so you can keep in touch with us. Brilliant. Well, it just leads me to say thanks an absolute million, Giles. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show and learning lots more about Avoca that's clearly on a very exciting journey, um, very much um, a forward-thinking business. So I'm excited to see where you guys go in the future. So wishing you lots of continued success with the company and all your future pursuits. But for now, over and out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Legally Speaking podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help support us, remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. You can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits, bonus content, and much more by signing up to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks for listening.